Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a, an honor and a privilege to be here. We do, uh, Sally and I, and Ken Neville, would you just stand for a minute? Ken's the Director of Development with the RCA. He's along. A lot of you know him. And then my wife, Sally. If you just stand a minute, Sal. We, we're, yeah, thank you. We are partners and have been uh, doing this uh, since the beginning, and, and it's a joy to do it together. We've done uh, well over 20 of these trips now, and um, we have had uh, almost 30 people who have gone with us twice. And I tell you that to give you some idea of the quality of what we do. I think that speaks a word about that, and I want you to, to know about that. We do the biblical sites and the archaeological sites, and we do the stories, and we think we do those as well as anybody. We work really hard on it. It's important to us. But the added piece that you get with us that you don't get with most other tours is you also meet the people of the land on all sides of the conflict. Uh, You meet Palestinian Christians, brothers and sisters that are there. You meet Jewish Christians, again, brothers and sisters who are there and who are under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure from all sides simply because they're Christian. You'll meet uh, a Muslim woman. You'll meet a Jewish man who lost his 14-year-old daughter to two suicide bombers in Ben Yehuda Square and who still works tirelessly every day for peace and reconciliation and seeks to love his neighbor as best he knows how. You'll meet a settler. You'll meet a Palestinian refugee. And when you come home, you'll know the Bible better than you ever knew it before, and you'll love it more than you ever loved it before. I promise you that. That's a guarantee. But you'll also, for the first time in your life, have a face to put to the conflict. and It'll change how you view that whole part of the world, and that's a part of our ministry. That's important to us. That's a very small part of the trip, but you know what? When people come home, it's the part that they often remember the most, the living stones. So come and find out more about it. All right. um, I want to read the Good Samaritan story, and then uh, I want to do a little bit of history with you Um, We usually do this story on the Jericho Road, right where it happened. Some of you have traveled. Some of you traveled with Tim Brown and Ken in 06. We were along on that trip. You remember the Jericho Road? Who's here that remembers the Jericho? Remember the Jericho Road, how narrow it was? Well, we do that story right there on the Jericho Road, and we unpack it, and it changes how you view this story. It changes how you view uh, your worldview of who's your neighbor, who's your enemy, and all that. I'm just going to give you the, the shortened version of that today, okay? I promise to be done on time. But we have to do some history if we're going to do this right, okay? So read the story. I'm going to do a little bit of a history lesson, and then I'm going to go back to the story, unpack it for you, and then I'm going to give you an idea what I think Jesus was trying to stay in this, say in this story from a historical perspective. Sound good? Okay with you? All right, good. So hear God's word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to, e- e- to inherit eternal life? 
What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have incurred. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was neighbor to the man who fell under the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. And that is our Lord. And is he not marvelous in our sight? Well, some quick history. And I'm going to do it quickly. And don't worry about what you don't know. Nobody knows anything till they learn it. So whatever you don't know, you can learn, right? Part of pilgrimage is to find out what you don't know that you can learn that you should learn. That's part of what you do pilgrimage for. It's not to find out what you don't know. It's to find out what you can learn and what you ought to learn. So don't worry about what you don't know this morning. That's not as important. You know enough. You know enough to be the person God wants you to be. You know enough. What you need to do, and me as well, is do what we know. Amen? Okay, so. Um, all right, I got about, if I'm reading this, about 8.42, right? And I need somebody to tell me when it's um, about five minutes to 11, if I, or five minutes to, uh, to 11. Yeah, then I'll quit. Five minutes to 11. <laughs> About five minutes to nine. Who's got a? Would you do that? You have a? You have a watch, young lady? Do you have? Do you have you? Yeah. Do you have a watch? No. You do behind her. No. Is that Sal? I'm gonna have to go to you. Nobody's volunteering. So just let me know. All right. So I can quit on time, right? Okay. 1009 B.C. or B.C.E. If you prefer, David becomes king of what is a loose kind of federation of tribes. He rules 40 years. He establishes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. His son Solomon replaces him. He rules 40 years. He solidifies the borders, and he passes the kingship on to his son, who is a young man who listens to bad counsel, remember? And the kingdom divides. And now you have a northern kingdom, and you have a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. The capital of the northern kingdom is what? Samaria. And already then, the conflict between the Samaritans and what later becomes the Jews, because the Jews 
are named after Judah, but not till later. Okay? So already the conflict begins. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is defeated by Assyria. Samaria is destroyed. And many of the Samaritans, or the northern kingdom Israelites, are carried off into captivity. And as happens when there's a war and when there is victory by an outside power, the borders open up. This happened in the Revolutionary War, by the way. It wasn't until after the Revolutionary War that the borders opened up and we really began to be a melting pot here in America. That's what happened. Okay? So, the borders open up. People come from all over the region into what was once the northern kingdom of Israel, and it becomes a melting pot. But there are still Israelites there who worship God. Okay? There's always a presence there of Israelites who worship God. You need to remember that. It's important. Okay? 586 B.C., Babylon, remember? You know your history, right? Babylon comes in, destroys Jerusalem, tears down the temple, carries off 7,000 of the Jerusalem elite, the, the captains and the generals of the army, the priesthood, the nobles, the educated, who do they leave behind? Everybody else. Right? And it's a dismal place. It's a dismal place. Babylon is not. Fifty years later, Cyrus, the Mede and Persian, defeats the Babylonians... And he allows, remember, the Jews to come back, not just the Jews, but, but nations all around. He allows them all to go back, rebuild their holy sites, and resume worship of their gods in the way that they worship. The only thing they cannot have is a king. But they can worship the way they want to worship. And so Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, comes back, Zerubbabel. Again, don't worry about what you do not know. What you do not know, you can learn. You have the Bible right there in front of you. You have one in your home. I guarantee you probably have one on your Kindle, right? So don't worry about what you do not know. What you do not know, you can learn, okay? So Zerubbabel built, rebuilds the temple first. Then Ezra comes, and Ezra comes with a whole new set of rules, so you got these people here who stayed behind and they're worshiping the God of Israel as best they know how with no temple, right? But they see themselves as Israelites. They have not abandoned the faith. In a sense, the faith has abandoned them. And now Ezra comes back from Babylon with a whole new set of rules. You got to get rid of your foreign wives. Well, where did that come from? Right? That's a new rule. And if you're the one left behind, left to scavenge and survive the best way you can, and one of the things you did was marry those who were available to marry, which was done before with Boaz and Ruth, with Judah and Tamar, with David, with Solomon, suddenly this is a problem. Well, what? You have a problem. 
And so this is what happens. Ezra establishes these new set of rules, but there's these other people here called the Samaritans who reject, who reject that. And they form their own religious group. And guess what? They have the very same five books of Moses that the folks who then become called the Jews have. Same Torah, with only two exceptions, and these are important. Where it says in the book of Deuteronomy, and God will show you a place to build his house, right? Which becomes where? Jerusalem. The Samaritan Torah says, and God has shown you a place to build his house, and it is Mount Gerizim. Because Mount Gerizim is mentioned in Torah, Jerusalem never is. And then they have 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment in the Samaritan Torah is, you shall worship the Lord your God on Mount Gerizim. So the Samaritans have the very same Torah as the Jews. They build their temple on Mount Gerizim, which is right next to Jacob's wall. Jacob's well. Remember the Samaritan woman? You worship your God where? In Jerusalem, we worship our God right there on Mount Gerizim. And the first high priest in the temple on Mount Gerizim for the Samaritans is the little brother of the high priest in Jerusalem. Okay? <laughs> That's the history. Now there's more, quickly. The Persians rule until 331, Alexander the Great comes in. When Alexander the Great comes in, the Samaritans help him defeat the, uh, the, the folks who end up, who are the, the Jewish part of the thing. Samaritans help Alexander the Great. Jews never forget this. There's a Greek rule for a while, and now I'm really moving fast. And then there's this 80-year period of Jewish independence that we ought to know more and more about because it precedes the time of Herod the Great, and it's only 40 years before Jesus is born Israel was independent. And the ruling family were the Maccabeans. How many of you have heard of the Maccabeans? The Hasmoneans. And it is during this time that three parties or three political schools of thought develop. And you know what they are. What's one? Pharisees. What's the other? Sadducees. And what's the third? Third one's harder for us to know, Dead Sea Scroll folks, the Essenes. And they develop because the Hasmoneans take the high priesthood and the kingship and they make it one office. And the Jewish traditionalists can't handle that because the Hasmoneans are not a descendant of David. They cannot be king. And they're also not descendants of Zadok, so they shouldn't be priests. The Sadducees were descendants of Zadok. I know I'm moving fast. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I'm going to get to a good conclusion. Stay with me. The Sadducees are the descendants of Zadok. So they don't like that they're not priests anymore. And the Pharisees are the ones connected to David 
So they don't like it that they don't have a Davidic king, and the Essenes don't like anybody except themselves. True story. So now, you've got to have a little more history here. A guy by the name of John Herkinus is a Hasmonean, and he goes to, when they get power, he goes to Mount Gerizim. He's a Jew now. He goes to Mount Gerizim. Where's Mount Gerizim? Samaria. And he destroys the temple, and he slaughters 6,000 Samaritans. Forty years before Jesus was born, this happened. Now, we've lived in the Middle East. They've got a long, long memory there. Forty years is nothing. Two rulers later in the Hasmoneans now, there's a guy there, and his name is Alexander Janaeus. And he gets angry at the Pharisees because they throw citrons at him on Yom Kippur. And when you come along with us, I'll, I'll unpack that for you. You will love it. It's, a, it's, it's awesome. But he's angry with them, so he gathers 5,000 Pharisees at a banquet he's having. He crucifies them. Okay? And while they're dying, he brings their wives and children before them and has their throats slit. I know it's terrible, isn't it? This is 30 years before Jesus is born. So this is fresh during the time of Jesus. So that's the background. These are the characters in the story. And now let's go to the story. You ready? A man, expert in the law, stands up. The teacher sits. Everybody else sits. If you have a question, you stand and ask the teacher who remains sitting. So there's a respectful action here. Who would this man of the law be? Which party would he be a part of? He's a Pharisee. Because the Pharisees are concerned with making the law livable. Believe it or not, their real task is to make the law livable to the ordinary person. So they're always trying to do that. So he stands up and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does the very Jewish teaching thing here. He puts the question back on the questioner. Well, what have you read? You're an expert in the law. You're no dummy. What do you know? Tell me what you know. Tell me what you believe. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your might, and then he adds all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. That's what? That's the Shema. That's the Jewish confessional. That's the Apostles' Creed. In a nutshell, this is it. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you nailed it. Do that, Right? And you shall live. Well, this guy's an expert in the law, right? He wants to know the particulars, don't you? Be honest now. Don't you want to know how do we do that? Tell me how, preacher, so I can do it and know that I'm living right. Right? Right? So he does the same thing. He says, okay, who's my neighbor? Now, stop. The word is ra in Hebrew. It's a controversy that existed during the time of Jesus. You need to know this. 
Ra could be your family. You could interpret it simply as your family. You could interpret it as your community, Tulare. You could interpret it as your church, Tulare Community Reform Church or Community Church. These are my neighbors. You could interpret it as anybody who's a citizen of Israel or tribal, or you could interpret it as what? Everybody's my neighbor. And at one time or another through Jewish history, it was interpreted in one way or another depending on the political situation of the time. So the controversy was, is the Gentile my neighbor? Do I have any, applica- uh, any obligation to take care of the Gentile? Or is only the Jew my neighbor? Is my enemy my neighbor? Or is my enemy my enemy and I do not have any responsibility toward my enemy? Is my occupier my neighbor? Do I have a responsibility to care for my occupier, my oppressor, the Romans? This is the controversy that's swirling in the time of Jesus. And this man is calling Jesus out. Where do you stand on this controversy? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. And I'm about done. How much time do I have? You forgot. Zero time. That's what I thought. All right, so I can finish in not zero time, but I can finish in about three, four minutes. Is that good with you? So, he tells a story to a group of Pharisees. And the first guy in the story is who? A priest, which would make him what? A Sadducee. And he walks by the body, and all the Pharisees are sitting there like you are, going, oh, that's right, those Dagon Sadducees. Of course, they wouldn't stop and take care. Everybody knows. Every, any, any Jew would stop and take care of a Jew. That's an obligation. The high priest on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, would be obligated to stop and help a Jew who was injured in the middle of the road. This Pharisee, this Sadducee walks around him. All the Pharisees are going, yeah, dadgum Sadducees. Next guy in the story is a Levite, another Sadducee. So who do they expect the third guy who's going to be the hero in the story to be? Right? He's going to be a Pharisee. He's a Samaritan. Brilliant. I mean, Jesus wasn't just Son of God. He was smart, brilliant. And, he, and, he, and here's the, he's the hero of the story. So what's, the, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying that your enemy is your neighbor. It's not what he's saying. Earlier, he has already said, you have heard it said, what? You shall love your neighbor, right? I say, you shall love what? Your enemy. So he's saying, yes, you have enemies. He doesn't deny that. You have enemies. Do you have any obligation to them? And why would you? And he's using a Samaritan who has the same Torah as they do to point out how a man ought to act to his enemy because the man he takes care of is his enemy. And what he's saying is that this Samaritan is a better Jew than most of you 
because he recognizes the obligation does not just go to those who are like you, but you have an obligation to care for those who are even trying to destroy you. Now, end with a story. A man who's a member of an organization called Rabbis for Human Rights. He's a Jew, obviously. He's a Zionist. He believes that Israel, just as I do, most of you do too, Israel has a right to exist. Jews have a historical connection to the land. Palestinians do too. You can love them both. That's possible, you know. We're not first graders anymore who can only have one friend at a time, right? We can actually love more than one person in a conflict. In fact, we're supposed to figure out how to do that, right? So he goes to battle for Palestinians' human rights. And he's been beat up by Palestinians in the West Bank because he's a Jew. And he's been beat up by settlers in the West Bank because he stands alongside of Palestinians who are being denied their basic human rights. And I sat with him one day and I said to him, is this because you love your neighbor? He said, no. The Palestinians are not my neighbors. They're my enemies. And I said, so then why do you do this? And he said, because I love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and might. And then, you with me? Your neighbor is yourself. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for this opportunity to come around this wonderful, marvelous word that has you uh, breathing in and out of it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.